Hi, I'm Ray from Insert Quest here, and today we're having a chat with Jason Tasharski, who is creating a new RPG called Stand in Defiance. Thank you for coming on uh, and talking to us, Jason. Hi, thanks so much for having me. And I hope I didn't butcher your name too much. No, it's okay. It's a it's a hard one. It's I, I screw it up sometimes myself. <laughs> uh, so, uh, Jason. Uh, we first heard about your game uh, after we made a tweet about uh, about wanting to do more interviews with people, uh, and you shot us back a reply. Uh, and uh, your your game sounded right up our alley. Uh, mm-hmm. So uh, before we get into hearing about your fantastic game, why don't you tell us a little bit about your history in uh, games and or game design? Well, when it comes to the online RPG community, I've I kind of just showed up in it. I've been uh, online for a while, but never really very active. Uh, but I've been actually playing RPGs and and designing them for quite a long time. Uh, I didn't run into them as 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 a product in my childhood. I actually ended up making one when I was like 12 after I ran into those old like choose your own adventure books and wanted some way of doing that with my sister as well instead of just only one of us being able to play at the time. So so I kind of uh, parallel discovered the whole thing and just started making them from scratch by myself that way. Uh, which isn't really the way most people run into RPGs. That's a very, very unique way to discover RPGs. I've yeah. never heard of anyone doing anything similar. Um, that's pretty cool, though. Uh, and and what are some of the games that you enjoy playing uh, of late? Well, lately, uh, with with the game so close to releasing, I've been mostly working on Stand and Defiance itself, but I've been getting a lot out of... Uh, Monster Hearts recently, also Dream Askew, both by Avery Alder. I've also been getting a lot out of The Republic, which is by Ash McCallan, Vince Baker, and I want to say Mark Redacted as the third one. Uh, yes, we, uh, I am familiar with uh, Ashton, thankfully. Oh, you are? Great. Yeah, uh, we actually met at uh, GX Australia. Uh, for those not aware, Ashton is a another... Uh, Australian designer uh, based out of Adelaide uh, and the Republic is um, a cool little game uh, that she's mm-hmm. made with uh, some other game designers yeah yeah it's it's fantastic that and uh, I've been following her playtest I guess it's still in playtest phase of uh, between dreams I think is the current title it's uh, a, her fantasy cyberpunk thing no it's the what is it? The Murakami slash Miyazaki inspired Powered by the Apocalypse. Oh, right, right, right. Uh, she's working on it with Luke Jordan and Emily McAllen, I think. Yeah, cool. Uh, all of these, all of these cool Australian game designers. There's so uh, much. It's, it's amazing. Yeah, and almost, and all, and pretty much all three that you mentioned, I'm confident are from Adelaide. <laughs> <laughs> half of the Just half the, of the twelve yeah. Australian RPG designers live in Adelaide. <laughs> yeah, uh, cool. So, uh, why don't you tell us a little bit more about your game, Stand in Defiance? 
okay. the the one line pitch you gave us on uh, Gmail was enough to get us extremely excited. Uh, but you've got a bit you've got a bit more room to play with uh, today. Great. Yeah, yeah. The one line pitch for it is something along the lines of it's a role playing game about desire, relationships, intimacy, violence, and the wrath of vengeful Etruscan gods. And that, that, that means something in practice. This isn't ju- it, when, I, when I say this is a game about desire, I don't mean that it's a game where you're a player and you want things, so you do whatever you want. Like, that's, that's all role-playing games. That's what the medium does. Uh, it's a game about the act of desiring things, about the state of wanting things, where... The, the players themselves are the people who initiate and frame the scenes rather than having a GM do it. And you, you structure the entire game around the players' characters pursuing what it is that they desire, explicitly defined at the start of the game, and have the GM, or plural GMs maybe, uh, introducing explicitly introducing complications to try to make that process a bit more difficult and also to introduce consequences for actually achieving those desires. So it's not, it's not so much just a matter of doing things and then, yay, you won. It's doing something and then, was that worth it? And, and was it worth the cost? Yeah, wonder- wow, that's really cool. Um, so what exactly do you mean when you say uh, a Etruscan gods. Etruscan gods. Etruscan, yeah. sorry. Yeah, so the sort of uh, aesthetic inspiration for the game comes from a whole bunch of Etruscan art. And the Etruscans were a people who lived in northern Italy before being eventually assimilated by the Romans. And I just sort of like ran into pictures of their art by accident and fell in love with it because so much of it is people engaging with each other in an intimate way that you don't really see in Roman art that it tends to be a lot colder and more formal. I want to say there's, they used more color, uh, more vibrant color. They, they had random pieces of nature in, in other scenes. They had a really interesting relationship with uh, both gender and sexuality as well. So that all, all kind of prompted me to step away from the, traditional Hellenistic Greco-Roman understanding of what the ancient world was and try to shift it towards something that's a bit more, a bit more free, a bit more queer, a bit, a bit more open to interpretation. Cool. Uh, So where did the idea for this game begin for you? How did, how did your process uh, from, uh, Oh, these are some cool themes, and that's some cool art. Too, I am making a game, and now need to uh, try and promote it. Uh, what is that? What does that journey look like for you? So, sort of the the mechanical process of going from the vague inspiration to actually being a game. Mm-hmm. Let's see. Uh, and what? And in, uh, specifically, I guess, uh, what made you go? Uh, this is a cool idea for a game and go from that to this is a game I will have to make and I will make it. I just kind of started making it. Okay. And what I, mean, what I mean by that is that I came up with a sort of mechanical procedure 
and then a whole bunch of other things about the game just sort of built themselves out of that. Uh, so it it started with me sort of sitting around thinking about how in some role-playing games there's a there's a, there's an explicit designed rule about uh, die rolling and to, to resolve situations where once you've rolled the dice you have an outcome of you succeed, you fail, you get some medium outcome maybe, but you never roll again. You do it once, the result is the result, and you get what you want. And, and you get that, and you can't revise that after the fact. And I started thinking about how that means that the outcome of a particular difficult situation is or, or can be based on a character's innate skill or natural ability, but can never be based on the amount of effort or that, that someone puts into it or the amount of dedication that someone's putting into a particular task. That if someone who doesn't care about someone who doesn't care about something but is very good at doing a particular thing attempts to do something, they're far more likely to succeed than someone who is desperately concerned with what the outcome is, but may not have a any particular talents in that area. So what I did with Stand and Defiance, or, or with the mechanic that became Stand and Defiance, was it's a simple opposed die roll where whichever side, whether it's a GM or a player, whichever side is losing, which whichever side has the lower result, can roll again and add a new die or new dice to this sort of growing total on one side or the other. And by, by committing more effort and, and time and persistence into trying to accomplish whatever it is that they're trying to do at the cost of either expending resources if you're a GM or giving more resources to a GM to potentially screw you over later on if you're a player. Right. Okay. That's kind of cool. Yeah. Reminds me a little bit of and, um, Beast Hunt. Yeah. Yeah. And from that, a whole bunch of other things uh, about the game emerge, because you can get a situation in that where uh, one side rolls very badly, and it's it's not possible for them to succeed by rolling another die. So that brings in oaths, which are one of the really, I think, one of the more interesting mechanics about Standard Defiance, where a player can have their character make an explicit oath to a god to perform some task or some service or, or to dedicate some grand sacrifice in the future to this god in exchange for the god sort of reaching down into whatever the situation is and immediately resolving it in that character's favor. Wow. Which, as you can imagine, generates a whole bunch of conflict and complication further on in the game. And in playtests, it's always extremely satisfying when someone does that in the first session. Yeah, and then you've got to, mm-hmm. later on, you've got to deal with that. Yeah, it's I making a deal with the devil, except the devil is a god. <laughs> so, mm. Wow. Cool. Um, I wouldn't mind exploring a little bit of the, uh, of the ideas you have for the setting mm-hmm. uh, of Stand in Defiance. So we've talked a little <laughs> about the gods. Yeah. Uh, how prominent are the gods? Uh, some games that have gods in them, the gods are like right there. They're physical beings. You can you can meet them. Uh, others, uh, other games go for go for uh, the gods are uh, there in name only, or mm-hmm. it is the gods are unknowable. Well, uh, obviously, you're shooting for something a little different. 
Yeah, I would say that for Standard Defiance, the gods pretty much are the setting. Like, when you're sitting down to play as a group, you you don't have a fixed setting in some way that, that you're picking up and dealing with. The, the first thing you do, well, the second thing you do, after you've set what your content ex- expectations are for the game, the first thing that you do is uh, create a community together, describe what's going on there, what's happening in the world, and how people relate to each other. You, you do this from scratch. There is no, that there are like prompts and ideas, but there's nothing fixed about this that you have to do, except that you have to have certain gods in the setting. And these gods are NPCs. They're people, and they interact like other people. Uh, but actually, I'd say that I would define uh, the role of a GM in Standard Defiance as the player who plays the gods and also other NPCs. That's how crucial and central they are. Yeah, there's, there's, uh, that's an interesting expectation there. Um, obviously, lots of games have have a, a thing where you play where the GM is playing the NPCs, but mm-hmm. um, you said earlier that the players are the ones that are setting all the scenes. So. Exactly. Uh, yeah, the GM's role being to to play everything, play these other characters, uh, is um, kind of turning down uh, a traditional focus of the GM and turning up mm-hmm. something else. Which is- yeah, in fact, I'd say that it's almost necessary for the G- for a GM to have these gods available, to to have a being so powerful available to play as from the first session onwards, just because the players have so much control over the pace of the game and what happens. Mm -hmm. And the gods kind of balance that out to a degree uh, by, by being able to do things that a mortal character can't. Yeah. Cool. Um, So how, how, uh, how do you, you you mentioned that you make a community uh, Mm -hmm. together. So you, you set the content expectations for your game, uh, which is a feature that we're seeing lots of game designers add. Uh, now, um, the Good Society yeah, yeah. had uh, had a whole section about that, um, and we've seen uh, a few other games at it. And it's nice to see that your game is going to have it too, because there's definitely probably potential for some oh, absolutely heavy themes there. Uh, mm-hmm. And then you said that you make a community together, and part of that is like picking the gods. Uh, what other what other aspects to making the community are there? It's pretty brief and straightforward, uh, partly just because one of my intentions with Standard Defiance was to make it possible to play as quickly as humanly possible. Uh, like a session, most, most role-playing game sessions, in my experience, go for something in the range of four to five hours. I've never seen a Standard Defiance session go for more than about two hours and ten minutes. And that means wow. that when you're having this sort of session zero, sit down and create the world together, you need that to go something in the half an hour, 45 minutes, maybe an hour range, depending on how familiar the players are, in order to just be able to get things going. So in practice, that means that uh, creating the community starts with uh, defining what the present is. Uh, That is, what's going on in this community and in the world around this community right now. And for that, you have three options. Uh, You can have a feud, which is some kind of conflict between two people or two groups or two gods or whatever. Uh, Catastrophe, which is uh, not necessarily something post-apocalyptic, but it defines the community in terms of something horrible that has happened and the aftermath of that. Or you can have prosperity, which is 
probably the trickiest to do well as a beginning player because it's it, it sets up this community as superficially as something where very good things are happening right now. And then later on, we get to see all of the conflicts that happen from whatever this, this supposedly good status quo is. So that's the first step of that. Uh, and then after that, once you've decided what's happening, then you actually work out what the community is. Are we talking about a city? Uh, are we talking about a ship's crew, like Firefly almost, or just a village or a family in one house? And you can scale up or scale down and everything works fairly well, no matter how you do that. Uh, then it's just a matter of what's physically around that community. What's, what's the world like around it? How does it connect to other communities in the world, maybe? And from there, you can move pretty much straight on into creating characters and naming NPCs and figuring out what the actual social landscape of, of the game is going to be. Cool. Uh, how do how does making characters feature into this process, and what goes into making your own your your character that you play as? Yeah, characters. It's one important thing in standard defense is that character creation has to happen after community creation. So, as a group, you've sat down, you've figured out these villages on a mountainside that everyone lives in. You figured out what you want to be going on, the kinds of structural oppression that you're interested in dealing with, if you're interested in dealing with that. And then based on those, you start creating characters. And creating a character isn't uh, sitting down and going, oh, I, I will have a 16 in strength or a 3 in hard or something like that. There's no, there are no attributes. There are just relationships between people. And that's how you're defining your character for the most part. Uh, who, who do you know? Who do you live with? What are your relationships with the other characters like? That Again, uh, I used the term social landscape earlier. That sort of weaves the characters into the world that we're imagining that they inhabit in a way that I feel like a lot of games don't. Yeah, indeed. Uh, you can often often feel like your characters are not part of the setting. Exactly, that they're, they're, they're something separate. There's something separate that you created. Uh, the setting is something that someone else created, and they pass through each other and they interact with each other maybe, but you don't necessarily belong there. And of course, like sometimes you want to have that wandering loner aesthetic going on, like the Strider slash Aragorn from Lord of the Rings, something Han Solo-like, something Odysseus-like. But you, in Stand and Defiance, you're still defining that relationship between the character and community explicitly ahead of time. So if your character is someone who is distanced from the community... We're talking about that, and if we're defining them that way, it matters that we're defining them that way. Yeah, we're and talking about the we're going to make the game an outsider. Yeah, yeah, that being an outsider is something significant and has implications. Yeah, cool. Um, you mentioned earlier that you can have your uh, your community uh, mm -hmm. be like a village on the mountainside or a a crew like Firefly. Um. Does that mean that your game has the potential to ex to to wear other genres um, as as costume? So you could do you could do yeah. like a western uh, where so, you know you've got a bunch of you've got a bunch of farmers out in out in uh, I don't know the western frontier or whatever yeah. in Montana <laughs> uh, mm -hmm. trying to <laughs> trying to get the 
get gods to bless their crops and <laughs> things like that. There, there is some room for that, but there are also some subtle limitations that aren't necessarily obvious. Uh, so you could, in theory, say that, okay, our, our community, well, let's use the Firefly example because I mentioned it earlier. Let, we can say our community is the crew of a ship and we're in space and we're smuggling things between different planets. And that's fine and that works by itself. And then we can say, okay, and we're when we struggle to accomplish something, we are relying on gods to aid us to, to solve to solve our problems and create more problems for us. And okay, that works. Uh, the problem is the technological because stand in defiance does not have any rules for any kind of technology in it. And this means that for someone, for a character to solve a problem or, or yeah, for a character to solve a problem, there are no tools that can really have a meaningful impact on that. So if I'm sitting down and saying, okay, my character is going to try to kill your character. I don't have a higher chance of success shooting you versus trying to wrestle with you. And that doesn't really matter in a more ancient world kind of setting where at most you've got like a spear and, and we can describe the interaction between a person with a spear and a person without a spear in such a way where it's not obvious that one has to win over the other. But if it's a Star Trek-like setting, and I say, okay, I point my blaster at you and pull the trigger, I should have some reasonable expectation that that's going to be more effective than throwing the blaster at you. But in-game, it won't work that way, necessarily. So you could reskin it, but it won't feel quite right, necessarily, if that makes sense. Got to go for more mythic traveling of the stars. Yeah, yeah. And though, again, if you're doing something that's maybe uh, Star Wars-like, where if someone shoots at you, you can just raise your hand and absorb the, the laser blast into your palm, then okay, that, that works perfectly well. But if you're trying to do something a bit harder where what the technology is actually matters, it's not going to mechanically support that for you. Mm. I mean, interesting. Uh, are there any other... Um any other subtle uh, restrictions that uh, inform the setting hmm. that you can think of? Um, we've often found that uh, the restrictions people put into their games are tell a lot about what they want players to do. But also, I mean, the rules that you provide for players tells a lot yeah. about what you want them to do. Mm -hmm. I think uh, one approach that could go wrong that I feel like people might be likely to take by default when playing this game is approaching it as a purely collaborative party-based game. Mm -hmm. Because characters in Stand and Defiance are extraordinarily powerful, as, as I've mentioned. And if, if everyone has the same goals in play and no one's really conflicting with each other, if, if we're all getting together and saying, okay, we let's say it's the Trojan War and we're all playing Greek heroes and we've decided the, the main thing that every single one of our characters wants is to storm Troy and kidnap slash rescue question mark Helen, then we're going to do that in the first session 
because maybe some of us will fail in what we're trying to do, but there are enough of us that we can overcome pretty much anything. It only becomes interesting and fun in play if all of us have something else that we want that's conflicting with each other. Like, if you look at the actual Iliad, very few of those Greek characters actually want to storm Troy, and that's what makes it interesting. I was going to say, you might have one character who wants the war to last as long as possible, to earn as much glory. You might have one person that wants it to end Mm -hmm. quickly so they can go home. One person might be trying to solve the conflict with diplomacy. Another might Mm -hmm. think carnage is the only path. Yeah, something like that. But if if you treat it as a party-based, task-oriented game, then it's going to be short at least but but you won't really get out of it what you could get out of it it's not the intended uh style of play exactly like i was saying earlier it's about what people want and what they're willing to do to get what they want and how they feel about the consequences of doing what they want not about being on a team and solving a problem Wonderful. Um, I think that that's uh, a really important distinction to make. Um, I thought we might chat a little bit about uh, what the various inspirations for uh, Stand Defiance were, um, Mm. what media touchstones you've drawn on, what other games you've drawn on, uh, and things like that. Because you've basically built built this system from the ground up, uh, which Mm. is... Uh, always lovely to see. Um, so uh, we, I, I wanted to know what, uh, where you have pulled your ideas, um, and obviously I don't mean where. I, I don't mean to suggest all of your ideas are lifted directly from somewhere else, but uh, all ideas are influenced by other things. <laughs> yeah, uh, yeah. Uh, so I just wanted see. to know what the influences are on you. Uh, I guess we'll start with what were the, what were the, what are the media influences. Uh, on standard defiance what other content has similar themes yeah so aside from games then uh like just setting off games until a little bit later sure uh sappho's poetry is a big one uh it's wonderful it's the most honestly some of the most intense romantic poetry that i've ever read uh the iliad and odyssey uh i'm more of a iliad person than an odyssey person just because it confines because the Iliad's much more about a complicated social situation where the Odyssey is just about some guy's heroic journey. So I have, I have opinions there. Not important. Uh, the Aeneid a little bit, but I hate the Aeneid cause it's kind of fascist. Uh, some, some plays, Medea, the Bacchae, Lysistrata, a bunch of Shakespeare, uh, the left hand of darkness by Ursula Le Guin actually, uh, got me on the, idea of actually potentially playing in a community that's more utopian rather than one where everything sucks from the get-go by definition. Mm -hmm. And let's see, what else? Uh, The Orhan Pamuk novel Snow, actually, it's, it's, it's not really like something connected to any pop culture media or, or to role-playing games at all, but the way the character, the, the protagonist of it interacts with the world uh, really got me thinking in that. So I, I feel like I have to name drop it. All right. Cool. Uh, and what were some of your mechanical influences? Um, Let's see. Um, 
Dog Eat Dog by Liam Leonard Burke and Fiasco by Jason Morningstar are the two that really pushed me into thinking about how we structure scenes in games and how we initiate scenes in them and what what scenes are about. Uh, so those are two big ones. Uh, Troll Babe and Sorcerer, both Ron Edwards had some influences. Uh, Troll Babe in the sense that character in, in the way that it empowers characters and Sorcerer in the way that uh, the demons relate to the sorcerers. It's very similar, actually, to the way that gods relate to characters in Standard Defiance. Uh, so those are probably the four biggest ones. But I also want to sort of name-check uh, the old BX basic expert companion D&D because it has this sort of strategic layer, in a way, that most role-playing games don't. And... I, I can clarify what I mean about this. Uh, most role-playing games, you sit down, you play a session, there's a whole bunch of small-scale tactical interactions. You're, there's a defined tactical problem in front of you, whether it's convince so-and-so to give you XYZ or, or just fight a monster or something like that. And the game is very often a series of these small tactical interactions that may or may not be connected to each other or intimately connected to each other then a lot of games, well, maybe not a lot of games, some games have a slightly higher step up from that to what I want to call like an operational layer, where you're, where what you're thinking about as a player is how to make all of these tactical interactions, uh, how, how to link them all together in order to get what it is that you want. And then a f- very few actually move to the strategic layer where you're defining what your objective is and very much from the top down, planning out far in advance all of the things that you need to do in order to achieve some long-term goal and what that goal is worth. And I think uh, very old school D&D has, a, has all of those, though it requires you to move from one layer to the next slowly over the course of a long campaign. Hmm. Cool. Uh, I wasn't familiar with that uh, particular D&D thing. Um, yeah, yeah. Uh, People talk about BX. They don't talk about Companion, the, the third in the, in the series, or, or the later ones. Cool. Um, yeah, wonderful. Uh, oh, sorry, and I want to clarify one thing yeah. in, with regards to Stand and Defiance. Uh, when I'm talking about the sort of, sort of tactical, strategic, operational thing, Stand and Defiance kind of leaves out the tactical layer and just assumes that when you're trying to do something, for the most part, you're going to succeed. We don't really care about how you accomplish a sub-step in, in your plan of things that you're going to do to achieve your goal. We're concerned with the series of, of things that you're doing and with what the implications of doing them are. Mm. Cool. Um, so when uh, is Stand in Defiance slated for release? Well, I'm going to put the PDF out on itch.io on April 7th. Uh, fingers crossed, assuming nothing unexpected happens in the meantime, which it probably will, who knows. And then sometime during April, I'm planning on doing a Kickstarter for a print edition. Cool. Very soon. Uh, Nice. Uh, so this episode will be up on Patreon for our early supporters on the 6th uh, oh, cool. Australian time. 
um, and then it will go publicly uh, up on the 9th. So it'll be up a day or two after you've released it on itch. Great. Good time. Uh, which should be uh, cool. Um, are there any other RPG projects that you're working on at the moment? Right now, I'm kind of devoting all of my RPG time to this one, just because release date is so close. Mm-hmm. Uh, but I will. I will in future. I am thinking about how to better adapt this to a sci-fi kind of setting. So that's in the sort of uh, 6 to 18 month range of, of when I'm going to be working on it. Mm-hmm. Uh, so, yeah, expect something like that further, further down, further along. Cool. And if people uh, did want to track uh, what kind of, uh, what games you're putting out and, and things like that, where can they find you on the internet? Uh, let's see. I'm probably easiest to find on Twitter. Uh, my Twitter handle is at Manixer, M-A-N-I-X-U-R. It's me and having weird names that are difficult to spell and pronounce. <laughs> Sorry. Uh, I'm also on Patreon at Manixer as well. And HIO, same thing. M-A-N-I-X-U-R. And we'll have links to all of those down below uh, on the WordPress and hopefully on the SoundCloud. Right. Um, although they won't hyperlink on the SoundCloud because SoundCloud doesn't like that. <laughs> uh, but they'll be there. <laughs> uh, wonderful. Uh Cool. And thank you for coming on today and having a chat with us this morning. Uh, It was lovely hearing uh, more about your game and getting a better uh, feel for it. I can't wait uh, for it to be released. That's Uh, exciting. I think think it should be good. Um, Cool. Uh, So, uh, that seems to be about it uh, for us uh, here this morning. Uh, Thank you all for listening, and thank you to all of our Patreon uh, subscribers for making recordings like this one possible. In particular, we want to give a shout-out to Greywalker, uh, and... uh, uh, Yeah, in particular, we want to give a shout-out to Greywalker and Brandon and uh, Ross uh, and all of the wonderful Patreons. Uh, Thank you all so much uh, for uh, supporting us every month. Uh, and making uh, making these things possible. Uh, but uh, for now, uh, farewell from the past. I'm Ray. <laughs>